0: I wasn't terribly surprised. I thought it made sense, dramaturgically. Hello and welcome into another episode of Dramaturgically. I'm your host, Stephen Clarke, and today we're joined by one of my best friends in the film world or any other, someone whose expert analysis, articulate criticism, or or praise of film always enriches my artistic mind furthermore, uh, whose journey into the podcasting world has uh, absolutely inspired my own. Um, So please let me introduce to you for the very first time, Perth filmmaker, entrepreneur, and retiring podcaster, Jake Diagrella. <laughs> oh, that's a beautiful introduction. Well, I wasn't prepared for that. No, you absolutely deserve it, mate. You're, uh, oh. you're uh, one, of, one of my good friends and uh, someone who I love talking about films with, so I'm really, inter- really excited uh, mm. to introduce you to my audience.
1: Excellent. Well, hello, audience. Hello.
0: It is me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <laughs> now, glad now, now to be afraid. here. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so, so one thing I, I like to I like to do with like a new audience, uh, new audience for the new audiences and also mm. for the new guests that come onto the podcast is sort of ask uh, a few rapid fire questions. Um, oh, and sort of. Explain a bit of like your life in film and your taste, and just so people can just roast you, basically. Oh, excellent! Uh, on your answers, I'm because uh, you're not prepared for the questions, so obviously everything you say is going to be off the top of your head, and then you're going to have to answer for that forever on the podcast. Yes, so. okay.
1: Well, right off the bat, the fir- the answer to your first question is yes. The Last Jedi is one of the best Star Wars. Films, so, <laughs> all right, I'll take that. I'm one ready off. for the ro- <laughs> I'm ready for the roasting already. Let's go. I'll one of it. the
0: best. So presumably, after the uh, Rise of Skywalker, you're saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that was the one I was thinking <laughs> That's of. <what> thinking <laughs> That's of. number one. <laughs> God, I really made it. A, 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 I really made an astute choice never to talk about Star Wars on the podcast so far, and now I've I'm ruined in, it. I'm in big danger. There you go. <laughs> well, you you talked about controversy
1: and wanting yeah. people to roast me. I just wanted to make it easy for them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's it. But we can, we can move on. Now. It's okay.
0: <laughs> all right. So I'm gonna first of all first question, Jake. Yes. What's your favorite film? Oh,
1: I should have known, but. How dare you? How dare? Um. Oh. Okay. This is this is one I will say because I, I mean that answer changes every day. Yeah. Yeah. I will say the one film that is not in my letterbox top four, mm-hmm. but I've been tempted to swap out and and insert in for, gosh, a while, many many months. It's probably the Florida Project.
0: Nice man. Yeah. I think mean, that would be the
1: one that I've just always like. I want to swap, and I don't know which one to swap it out with. Yeah. It would probably be like Once or Back to the Future or something a bit more you know I feel like those especially back to the future is probably a bit too mainstream it's a bit too obvious they for ha- a top 4 they've
0: had their time in the sun in They've had their time. <laughs>
1: exactly exactly so I think the Florida Project I'll put it that's the one I always go back to like oh my god what a, what a fan and Red Rocket I mean yep. Sean Baker oh my goodness me
0: no, excellent he, director Sean up. Baker I mean that yeah t- the Florida Project had a really big impression on me because um, it was came out what 2017 yeah um, that sounds right yeah so that was that was around the time 2016 2017 2018 even twenty nineteen for me were like really formative, like mm. uh, filmmaking years for me, and ones that like I pretty much saw every film that came out in that four year stretch. Like yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. Um. And yeah, the Florida project absolutely stood out as like one of the standouts of that whole period. So um, no. I
1: feel like for me, like twenty nineteen to twenty twenty one is that pretty much COVID yeah. <laughs> was the period when I kind of caught. I was watching the most abstract, weird stuff yep. at Luna, for example, yep. um, and like sadly, I got to reclaim those days. Yeah, I, I totally get that. And and the Florida Project for me, it's just like that kind of film. It is the only film, period, that I will cry on rewatches. watches Yeah, I can re-watch it and still cry in the same beats. It just it completely melts me. Nice. It's just a fantastic film.
0: That's uh, that's the third uh. Pooh trilogy film for me um yes. apu sansa that one <laughs> just i'm a blubbering mess at the, oh, no. the last five minutes of that every single time <laughs> all right i better move this on otherwise yes, i'm gonna yes, lose all course. credibility as a rapid fire question segment <laughs> <laughs> all right second one you can only keep one of these three films oh okay and f- and forget the fact that they're all part of the same series and it wouldn't work without the other one i'm just saying on quality you have to choose. oh one. I, know, I know before trilogy Fellowship, Two Towers, Return of the King. Oh,
1: okay. Even better. So, so I've only seen the theatrical versions of all of these films once. Yep. And the extended cut of all these films once. Interesting. Only a couple of months ago, actually. Wow. Um, which you can hear on the Cinema Science your podcast. Definitely. Of course. There you go. Um, I will say... I would Originally, my answer would be Two Towers. I would say when my first time watching the trilogy in one big binge, I'd say the Two Towers is probably the one that would fall off. But... I might have to change my mind because on Rewatch, especially the extens- extended cut, I was like, this is actually fantastic. Um, not that I didn't think it was fantastic in the first place, yeah, but yeah. there were so many nuances I didn't really pick up on in the way the story builds. Oh god, you suck. <laughs> 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 I'll say I'll say Fellowship is still my favourite. Nice. Out yeah. of the whole trilogy. That's fair. Um I might still have to say, but then, like you said, there's like the whole story is all interconnected. You can't take one without the other. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, what was the original question?
0: If I had to remove one, uh, or? If, if you if you just had to say that one was your favorite, basically, like of the three.
1: Okay, I would I would say the Fellowship is my favorite.
0: Yep. Yeah. And then yeah,
1: the other two are yep. probably up for debate, yep. depending on when he asked me. It's so a sort of if, like
0: Desert Island situation. You can okay. only bring one of them, like do you do do you choose like the start of the story, the middle of the story because there's so I, much epic moments or just the ending for the conclusion. <laughs> I well
1: that's why I keep going back to with the yeah. last one. It's, like, it's really just a conclusion. It's literally just everything that happens in Mount Doom. Yeah. And like <laughs> you know, Gollum falling into yeah, you know, like all of that <laughs> is what I would want to keep yeah, 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 of out course. of the entire four hour film. Yeah. So, maybe that has to be it. Maybe I can't get nostalgic. One. i got to keep Two Towers and
0: Fellowship. Yeah. I feel like... I, I, I watch these movies every weekend as a kid for like yep. 10 years. So, like, wow. they're, they're just ingrained in my brain like nothing else. Um, and I do just specifically remember um, pretty much like whenever I would just want to watch Lord of the Rings, I would just watch, like, Return of the King. And I was like, oh, I, I get uh... I, I have the context, like... <laughs> <laughs> I know what happens before this. <laughs> I know what happens before. Um, and I would just, like, basically go and watch Return of the King, like, on a Sunday night or something like that. Yep. Just because to feel the epicness and, like, the grandeur of the ending, I guess, of the story. But, um, yeah. No, I always find it interesting to ask that question because everyone kind of gets a bit of a cop-out with those films and just to say, mm. oh, like, the whole trilogy is great. Yeah, the whole trilogy is yeah, great. Yeah, I get what But which mean. one's better? <laughs> so, no, they, I love the shy stuff. Yeah, the shy stuff's fantastic. It's all
1: amazing. So, for me, Fellowship is great. It's a little contained story, so to speak.
0: Beautiful. Um, all right, third question. Mm. A film that you wish you could see on the big screen but never have.
1: Ooh. So, very recently, we... Rewatched The Dark Knight on the big screen. And that was the first yes. time I saw it on the big screen. Same. Which? Oh, really? Yeah. Well, there you go. After 15 years, we finally did it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess in, in the Nolan camp, I would probably go to Dunkirk because I didn't see that in cinemas, mm-hmm. and especially with a proper
0: really? sound mix. Yeah. I, I saw just that in the it. IMAX. Um, see, right see what be- I mean? Right before the IMAX shut down in Perth. Oh, of yeah. course. Mm-hmm. Yes. That was That's, great. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm very jealous. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's my go-to answer. But then I think about... Let's see. Because well, I'm trying to figure out things that really are enhanced by the big screen. Yeah, of course. Experience, Even something as recently as Top Gun Maverick. I was like, thank God I caught that in cinemas. Like
0: yeah, i I yeah. give you a little clue. I've Re- recently saw... And I'd only seen this film once before this. I yep. recently saw Apocalypse Now on oh, the big screen at Luna. Oh, wow. And that was just... Game changer. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> like, seeing it on, It was one of those films that I'd seen it on my computer screen once and I was like, yeah, this is great. And like, I get why it's so beloved. Um, and then like I saw it on the big screen and I was like, yeah, like I can see why people call this one of the, Best movies ever. <laughs> yeah.
1: I Okay, with that in mind, I might have to say it's 2001. Just because of the mm. scope of it, I would love to see that on the big
0: screen with the music and everything. Yeah. Whisper, I've never seen 2001. <laughs> 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 yeah, I
1: know. One <laughs> of <laughs> 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 the best audio <laughs> bites ever.
0: Uh, oh, my goodness. I
1: think I think you're going to get the controversial comments <laughs> this week. I know. Week. <laughs> I know, I know.
0: It's, it's definitely my most glaring haven't seen, I think, out of everything.
1: I think the first time I saw it was probably... I'd say 2020 again. That was when I caught a lot. Yeah. Especially with COVID and everything. I just caught up so much on film. And yeah, just transcendent experience. Kubrick's best, easily.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. Maybe not easily,
1: but you know know what
0: I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'll see. A little 2001 film I'll put it on the watch list. (laughs) (laughs) little old film. (laughs) All right, next question. Yes. Film you have watched the most in your life?
1: Ooh so i think like childhood wise i'm looking at maybe the Raimi spider-man films specifically yep. the first two wizard of oz mm. um but then films that came out in sort of the early audies not already sorry the early 2010s like your social networks i might have seen that film like 10 to 15 times yeah um Ooh, that's a really great question but then we're getting into the weeds. It could, if I go early, early, early childhood, we could be talking about like
0: the Elmo adventure yeah. film, or <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 like Rugrats in Paris. or something. Yes, yes, exactly.
1: So um, that that's probably where I'm gonna have to go with with that answer. I'd say. Yeah, it might it might actually be Wizard of Oz. That's good. That's good. Yeah. If
0: if it wasn't Lord of the Rings to me, I think the time when Mad Max Fury Road came out in cinemas, I saw it uh 15 times. Oh so, my goodness! <laughs> and me. it was just before Letterboxd, so I lost the credit. Uh, I didn't get the uh... credit for it, but that's okay. That's okay.
1: I'll shout out Harry Potter as well. I've watched all yes. of those
0: many, 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 many times. Yeah, it's good. These franchise ones Yeah, tend mm-hmm. to come back. Yeah. All right. Favorite animated film?
1: Ooh, maybe Spirited Away. Yep. But shout out to The Swallows of Kabul, Ooh, which has very, nice. very, very, very little. No one talks about it. Yeah. No one talks about it. And it's such a gripping, emotional film. It's kind of got this water watercolored aesthetic to it. Um, and I'm princess trying princess to... Kaguya sort of style, mm. right? Isn't it? Yeah. Well, I was thinking even like kind of the less cool version of what like Spider Verse is doing nowadays. Right. Um, but it, it's it beautifully interweaves into the narrative because this is late '90s Kabul, Taliban ruled, and there's obviously this objection against art and culture and, and essentially forbidden. So I love that the the animation style in and itself is a statement against the Taliban. So it's just like I love the layers going on, but the animation itself. When I walked out of the cinema, I forgot what the real world looked like. Like wow. that's how impactful the animation in that film is, and it's so simple as well. It's more it's more the style than the animation
0: itself. But Mate, that, um, put that put that quote on the on the Blu-ray cover. I man. know <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's the
0: kind of film that doesn't even get a Blu-ray. So exactly. it, it's
1: time. <laughs> Let's do it. Get the quote on there.
0: All right, we're getting through here. Yes. Uh, favorite decade of film.
1: Oh. Hmm. 70s is brilliant, because you've got so many
0: auteurs doing yep. their thing. Um, That's the, the new the new Hollywood Brigade. Yeah, yeah, words. your
1: your Spielbergs and your Lucases, Scorseses, Coppolas, everyone. Um, but, hmm... I mean, you got so many classics in the '80s, though, as well. Of course, yeah. Um, but I, I know, like you would lean towards the '50s, for example.
0: Yeah, '50s is '50s is my personal favorite. Um, but I'm thinking very Hollywood
1: at the moment. Oh, but no, decades, but yeah.
0: uh, undoubtedly for me, the '80s would be competing. Like it's there's no doubt. Yeah. Like I mean, the '80s is just so iconic, and there's so many films that I love mm. um, in there.
1: Yeah, oh, maybe I'll go with the '70s. Let's nice. go with the '70s.
0: Good answer. Good answer. '70s is solid. Yeah. Alright. Um favorite film score. Ooh. Because not enough people talk about best no, scores No, they
1: don't. And you know, I, I my immediate fall was back to the future. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um Indiana Jones. I mean like I feel like you have to give Star Wars at least the shout out.
0: Sure. Because of yeah.
1: how it essentially saved the film in so many ways. Yeah. Of course. Um <laughs>
0: John, the amount of times you just watch something that John Williams is scoring and you're, and you're just like, could you imagine this without this music? I like, know. It's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: trying to think because I saw a concert recently that did a lot of film. Like it did, you know, Lord of the Rings and yep. um, The Lion King and things like that. So a lot of great scores interwoven in there. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like I do have a definitive answer for you, but I'm just... Oh, I'm struggling. You're struggling. But I do them. love films also like Once. Yep which like i said that was in my, that is in my top 4 still and like even the music in there it's it's just so raw it's it's not even a yeah. score necessarily this character's playing music you know diegetically within the world of the of the film and that the music in once is just utterly brilliant
0: fantastic but, good answer um, yeah. i'll
1: have to give you back to the future in terms of a score
0: yeah in terms of a score in the traditional sense exactly. yeah, yeah yeah i think exactly. mine would be pirates to be honest oh but yeah it's just so Can't go wrong. It's, it just immerses you so much yeah um all right Three to go. Who should have won Best Picture? La La Land or Moonlight?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'll say this. I am extremely happy that La La Land won for Direction. Yeah. Because, I mean, the direction in that film is really just vivid and alive. Mm -hmm. Um, I even just think of the more surrealistic dance moments where they're floating and they're kind of silhouettes and then the whole ending sequence. Yeah. Like, no one other than Dave Chazelle could make a da- Damien Chazelle, I should Dave. say. Dave's, <laughs> Dave I'm Chappelle? thinking of Dave Chappelle. <laughs> Imagine That'd Dave really Chappelle's complain- La La Land. Completely different movie. <laughs> very different <laughs> <Do> you- <laughs> No one other than Damien Chazelle could make La La Land. Um, but that being said, I think history is going to be very happy that Moonlight won for Best Picture. I mean, we've had time away from it. Yep. And I feel like no one's upset at the outcome now, I don't feel like maybe at the no. time, but I think people have grown to appreciate
0: yeah. the decision. And I do too. And isn't it crazy how much of it, when looking back now, how much of a moment that was for A twenty four and like yes. what was to become of A twenty four. Like now essentially like one of the most trusted brands on the market. Like Yeah. What an astronomical rise by them. It's crazy.
1: And not even just in terms of film quality, but just you know the kind of film. You're gonna get something weird and and Quirky and and almost unfundable. Yeah, in cases like Bo is
0: Afraid. Which yeah, of course. <laughs> they're of the course. only studio would ever make a film ever like that. It, yeah. yeah, I mean, probably to some extent. I mean, like, um, like Swiss Army Man and everything ever all mm. at once. Probably similar, similar boats as well. Absolutely. And a, what other studio would touch a Fighting Corpse?
1: Yeah. Well, speaking of Fighting Corpse, that also might be up there for score. Yeah. The a <laughs> cappella <laughs> score there. Yeah. Just ingenious. Bop, bop, bop. <laughs> <laughs>
0: all right. Underseen gem you recommend?
1: Okay, I've already said swallows like bulls. There you go. Yeah. Um, let's see, underseen gem. Ooh, you know what? And I'm I'm ashamed to have to do this. I might have to bust <laughs> out the old letterbox. The letterbox. Because I think for me it's a little tricky because like sometimes I do struggle with um, you know, like the context of how popular something is or how appreciated something is. Yeah, I, I
0: get that. I get that.
1: Let's see, highest... It'll be my highest rating because highest average rating would uh, be, the opposite be the opposite of what exactly. I want. Oh, you, you know what I'm going to say? Yep. I'm going to say Zola. Okay, great. And I know this is like, oh, it's the Twitter film. Yeah. But I actually thought it was like brilliant the way it was done. Yep. Just the energy behind it and the way that she sort of interweaved the Twitterness of it all. Like you can, kind of, you can kind of feel the sense that this is almost like the birth of a new genre in a way in terms of we had film, source material through books and, um, I mean, video games is quite common now. We're getting a lot of video game adaptations to movies that are, some of them aren't half bad.
0: (laughs) Yep, yep, of course. (laughs) Unless we're talking about Uncharted. Yep. (laughs) R.O.P., my love, my true love. (laughs) Oh, no.
1: (laughs) But, uh, you know, this short-form text-based, it's kind of like the new, when you look at, um, oh, my God, um, Al Pacino and, uh, how am I forgetting the name? Oh, my God, this is killing me. He, the heist, the bank heist, heist. dog the afternoon, dog
0: the afternoon. Yeah, of course. And it's like
1: that's you look at. It's like that's based on like a newspaper clipping. Yeah, <laughs> when yeah. you look at the technicalities of what when they get nominated for best adapted screenplay, what's the adaption? It's a it's, it's a, a, newspaper a newspaper clipping. clipping. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like it was almost self aware in the best way possible about yeah. oh well, this is based on a series of tweets. Yeah. Or what are they called now? X's threads. Threads. Oh my!
0: God. <laughs> Actually, that's probably the wrong terminology. That's, that's now. the Facebook one. Yeah, isn't but it, I Instagram? feel like they were called threads before threads became a thing. Oh, okay. But, oh, um, well,
1: you're right because it is a thread yeah. of
0: tweets. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah.
1: I'll give a shout out to Zola
0: because it was nice. far,
1: far, 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 far better than it had any right to be. At least that's how I felt.
0: Fantastic. All right, and last one: favorite Aussie film because we are Aussies. Ooh.
1: You mentioned the double feature the other day: mm. the Castle and Muriel's Wedding.
0: Yes. That's yes. a great, great double great feature. Great double feature.
1: Um it could be Muriel's wedding for me, but I do want to give a shout out to some of the more you know, the more serious Australiana films yeah, sure. out there, especially yeah. the Jennifer Kent's of the world with Boba yep. and Nightingale and things like that. Mm. Um Yeah. You know what? I'm gonna go Muriel's wedding. Nice. It's so well done. So immaculate done. Tony Colette. Great choice. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Collette. Yes. Yes.
0: Before she went hereditary. <laughs> <laughs> same energy, same energy. Same energy. <gasps>
1: oh, excellent. Was that the last one? Or was it one that more? was the last one. Though, oh, there you, you go. Su- you
0: survived the the not so rapid fire question. I know it was uh
1: It wasn't a machine gun. It was a. It was more of a. Like, it was a revolver, and we took a couple of breaks between I the. That's a reload. Reloading exactly.
0: <laughs> it was more of a the standoff from um from the good the bad and ugly. Yeah. <laughs> there
1: you go. Excellent. Right, oh, that was goal.
0: fun. No, good. I'm glad you enjoyed. It. I mean, I, I hope the audience now mm. um knows knows your taste and, and comes into this review of this film with uh some perspective. Perspective yeah. of, of of your your whole life in film. That's
1: it. Love it.
0: <laughs> so without any further ado, guys, we're going to move on to the film of the week, um, which is of course Bad Genius. Mm. Bad Genius is not your typical heist film. Inspired by real-life incidents of SAT cheating, it cleverly transplants the heist structure into a high-stakes school exam setting. Directed by Natawat Punpiria and produced by Jo Kwang Films, the film introduces us to Lin, played by Chudamon Chiang-Charon a brilliant student who crafts a cheating scheme that escalates to international proportions. I reckon I did pretty good with the he pronunciation. You did wonderfully. <laughs> well done. I tried. I tried. I was not prepared for that that <laughs> level of insights of the film. I love it. <laughs> um. So, Jake, this this mm. film uh, I believe came out in 2017 as well, right? Yes. Yep. Indeed. Um. This was one that for me just completely came out of nowhere. Mm. Um. I only saw it. I guess maybe around 2020. Is this sort of COVID time? Maybe. The first time you saw it. The first time I saw it. I can't really remember when I saw it.
1: Hmm. Because um, I, I, I've seen you logged in on Letterboxd many times. Because the first yeah. time I saw it was also sort of early COVID, maybe like February 2020, yeah. because of purely your recommendation. Right. The film that, you know, I've seen this a couple of times and it's absolutely amazing. And yeah. and it was sort of in that parasite hype as well, in terms of Asian cinema going for the win. Absolutely. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So, but for me, this was absolutely you just straight up like I never heard of this film before, and you're like, you must watch this. Yeah. Now,
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's so good, and I'm so glad to talk to you about this because yeah, I do specifically remember telling you to watch it, and um, I remember you watching it and and being and being a big fan of it as well. Yes, um Yes. And uh, it's 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 such an interesting um such an interesting film, and it just goes. I think it is. I mean, there's so, there's so many interesting things about it. I mean, other than the fact that it's based on real life SAT yes, cheating. Yes, that's crazy. It's got some... <laughs> it's shot in Australia in parts. I know. Um, but also just like there's such a strong directorial style and vision, which I just find that like whenever that is the case, you're just... I mean it doesn't matter how simple the plot is. This is a really simple plot on the sure. on the basis of the film. Yeah. Um but when it's so strong and the editing is so it's some of the best editing I've seen in mm. in years I think. Um but I don't know, it just really spoke to me and and I just found myself rewatching it constantly. Um what was your first experience or what's your subsequent experience watching this yeah, film? Yeah,
1: yeah, like, so I did the, the second time I saw this was a few days ago in Preparation for Today's podcast. And I think the thing I took away this time that I didn't the first time was realising kind of the genius, almost parody that this film is. And it kind of does a North by Northwest thing of it's kind of simultaneously a parody of a genre while also being a great sort of addition to that genre in like the heist thriller genre, if you will, but applying all of these high-tension stakes. and, And, you know, the stakes, are all they're all... Cemented for the the filming and the editing and the yeah. the performances and they all go to make these te- and we all are familiar with especially in high school doing these tests and feeling anxiety about exams and things like that so it's really taken that to the you know to the the nth degree crank it up to eleven if you will yeah um, with this fantastic rapid style and it's just super engaging and, and thought provoking as well because I I thought so much. About what it says about our uh, the way society respects academia, and the the financial aspects of it all, I thought were really really interesting. The first time I saw this too.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think what what the what I would call like the masterwork of this film is the fact that it incorporates everything entire society into one plot essentially. So mm. it takes the 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 classism that, that they're experiencing on the day-to-day basis of the school you know like it's the classic story of like the prep school um where the kids aren't actually that smart their parents just brought them in yeah and then you've got the the genius child essentially um who is sort of there and she she doesn't she doesn't have many friends and then she makes a friend mm-hmm. grace i believe is the name of the character who yep. she makes a friend with lynn um and and essentially, is brought into this world of of helping out her friend because she wants to help her get into a drama pro program. Mm. Um, and she doesn't really want to cheat, but she's sort of like it's, it her, first it's her first friend, and she kind of yeah. want
1: to ha- helps her out. And they yeah. they do a great job of building the stepping stones to how someone who wouldn't typically do this, who has no real incentive, yeah. even throughout the film to really do this, um, to becoming sort of the master behind mastermind behind this entire. Scheme and they they do set up sort of her deductive thinking skills and her genius at the start when we first meet her and she's not only taking into account the flat rate cost that her dad's going to pay to get her into the school but yep. like um, accounting for like the travel he's going to have to do and think like the laundry and all this stuff so we're, we're meeting a person who's very deductive and very considerate of her father and and that is really the only thing that could even uh, eventually propel her into this scheme when this starts to see money. Coming yep. out of this, which in turn reflects and contrasts with the really the money making scheme that is these organizations that are providing this supposed education or the standardized uh, academic. Uh, it, it, I love that, and the film makes that point: is that they're contrasting, yep. and she's kind of just doing the same thing that the the principal and the people who run the school are doing.
0: Exactly, and you know, when when, when she gets in trouble, it's it sort of um it it's it's really interesting that 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 she sort of like ta- takes a lot of the the criticism for mm. it rather than the people that that were essentially she employing it, her yeah, at, yeah. she absorbs the heat because she is the gifted one and she has this thing worth protecting mm. i suppose and um they, they make a point of, of sort of saying that by by her helping others cheat she's like lessening her own like greatness right and and, and i and i really feel like it's super interesting how like it's portrayed that that the rich uh Essentially, have this power over the poor, like, Mm. and and she has this brilliant talent that she that she can use to make money, right? And and this is really portrayed as well through the character of Bank as well, Mm. um, and just in terms of like the weaponization of of the genius essentially that they that they hold and and how it's their only way to survive in the world essentially, um, and it's sort of a way of life rather than just like, um. Uh, I guess, I guess something of like being smart for them. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah, It's, it's exactly. actually, it's actually a, a meaningful way for them to support their families and to to get out of the poverty that they're living in. Whereas the the rich kids are sort of <laughs> grasping onto this. Like, yep. they know that it's slipping away. That they're going to have to make their own way in the world. You know, their parents may have been really smart or come into money or however it has come about, but they know that eventually. They're going to be cut loose, and, yeah, and yeah, essentially they're grasping onto anything they can with the resources that they have.
1: I guess there's like a Venn diagram here that that nobody in this film really fits both sides, which is to have to be rich and have the funds to attend these schools, but also the smarts and the uh, the the whiz to actually be able to achieve the scores to yeah. progress through school and really nobody in this film has both those qualities yeah you know like you said we look at bank and and he's he's helping is it his mum with the, the, the laundry yeah yeah, yeah 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 and it's just it's all very like their situations couldn't be further apart and there's one line that i think pat says you smart people don't understand thick heads like me we always want good grades yeah and it, that that's the perfect sort of I wrote here it, They the film establishes a class class system not only based around this perceived intelligence but it's also tied to rich and poor scholarship no scholarship it's so it, it's brilliant that that's all sort of peppered into this otherwise you're right very simple heist plot yeah <laughs> and, and what I love is that first of all the pacing is so fast like so oh. much of what we talked about happens in the first half hour yeah of the film which is fantastic and the entire second half of the film is dedicated to a single, almost what well, is an international level scheme. <laughs> and like you said, this is kind of what the real life story was yeah. with the uh, this. I was going to call it the SAT test, but I imagine that I imagine the, <laughs> the T in SAT stands for tests. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's probably a good guess. I would say so. But yeah, I I love that the story really, and I I, I think a lot of. I don't think you get that a lot in Western films anymore where stories unfold in in a way that you just keep guessing. You really don't know how things are going to unfold. And at such a pace as well, you just don't have time to predict how things are going to end up.
0: No, you don't. And this film jumps around so much in terms of, like, its settings and its story and, like, where the characters are at at any given moment. And the mm-hmm. tension is so palpable in this movie. Like, yeah. <laughs> I remember the first time I watched the movie, I was physically sweating. Like, I needed to, like, <laughs> actually go get, like, a bottle of water because I was like, oh, I was goodness. so nervous for yeah. the characters. Um, and, yeah, like you said, this sort of, this I guess, uh, at some point, after we've established that uh, Lynn is going to help these students mm. in exchange for money, yep. and more and more people come on, and um, you have you know you know you have some people that are paying a, a lot of money, and you get these great characters. I think there's a character I can't remember his name, but he's like the friend uh, I think of of Bank <laughs> who just tries mm. to cheat. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's just terrible at it and almost costs them everything. Like, <laughs> yeah. and she has, Linus has, like swapped the paper with him in the <laughs> exam and stuff. Like, there's all these like really creative ways that they. Um, just up the tension.
1: There, there is, and, and my the thing I didn't even think about until well after my second viewing is you're right. You think about every little thing they do in terms of like where they're hiding phones or obviously the piano sort of finger movements that translates what the answers Genius. are and and you know putting the the writing the answers on the the er, er, eraser and putting yep. it in the shoe like every little bit they can squeeze of tension they use. Except one big thing they easily could have done and they never do is. What if Lynn doesn't know the answers? Yeah. <laughs> that is never, ever, ever a point of tension.
0: That's really Because that's
1: that's part of her characters. Like, it, literally any test she was sit, she would know the answers. Yeah. It's always t- the tension of how does she get those answers out yeah. to everyone around her. Yeah. And I yeah. thought that was such an interesting thing. That it's like, they very easily could have done something like that.
0: That would have been quite interesting, I guess. Like, if we, if we had maybe seen the consequence of her being so caught up in, like, getting the money and focusing on how to cheat that she actually forgot to study. Right, you know
1: right. What I
0: mean? Like, and then that coming as a consequence and, like, the whole thing crumbling because of that, I suppose, mm. would have been really interesting. It um, would
1: have been, but I also understand, and we don't have to talk about the ending specifically yeah, as yeah. of yet, um, but I think to, with the ending and, and sort of where we see Lynn end up and, and the decisions yeah. that she makes, I think it kind of reinforces the fact that not one time in the entire plot of this film did she need to help all these people. Like You can make the argument she needed the money to help her dad fund the educational, you know, the quote-unquote maintenance costs. Yeah. Uh, was it called? The tea money. Yeah, the tea money, yeah. <laughs> Which is so good. But I think that's part of the reason. It's like she never needed any- to help any of these people. Yeah. She could do all of this on her own if she decides. And every point of tension comes from the decision to cheat the decision to go against the norm and to yep. help others. So I, I think it's a very intentional decision that, that that's never a consequence. Yeah.
0: Every, every test she looks at it's like, yep, yep. I know the answers. Absolutely. No, there's, um, yeah. And well, well I guess we, we can talk about the ending in a, in a little bit, but I think yep. as well, it is really interesting. Like the con, the consequences of this film, um, both morally and like as, as a result for, for the characters where they all end up is, is really well thought out. And actually like, I really like mm. it. Um, but i did want to talk about um specifically um our favorite scenes from the film did you do you have okay. one that, that comes to mind or Ooh. like I, I i mean i i think it would likely be like just the big sequences right i mean they're so they're playing with classical music and yeah. it's written, editing so smoothly Creating
1: um, such tension out of what is a very boring scenario 99% of the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. So in terms of you know, the editing and the, the direction, the choice of music, and the, yeah. just all the, just the amount of coverage they get in those scenes to really amplify each moment. You know, the close-ups on the pencils where they have the barcode, yeah. custom barcode printed on them. That's and it's just so like, smart. <laughs> it's so brilliant. There's so many clever little choices made throughout the entire film. Um. Oh God. I will. I maybe I'll give a shout out to this, and maybe this is slightly spoilery territory. Not really.
0: That's fine. I, I think I think we're pretty happy to spoil on, cool. on this podcast. So S-
1: so throughout the film, we we do. It seems well. It is non-linear because we do get these little interstitials of the characters as we're being introduced to them, sitting in some sort of uh, uh, interrogation room and they're being questioned and they're sort of answering and saying things like, "Oh well, you know, I I didn't meet this person until here, or I didn't know this person was cheating," kind of answering questions and what we don't realize the film very cleverly reveals before the third act is that that's actually them practicing what would happen if they do get caught yes yes um, which is a great little reveal and and throughout the film is a great way to sort of um add those little surrealistic elements like the black and white mug shots there are just their school
0: photos yeah make you think that they are going to get caught at some point exactly
1: even just the clicking of a pen is like a gun cock and things like that that's brilliant but, yeah, what's great about when they decide to reveal that as well is because it's right before the third act, yeah. by the time we get to Sydney, the tension's even further raised because it's like, yeah. well, now we don't know what happens. yeah, we thought we were watching a film where we knew that we were going to get caught and we're going to find out how they got caught, yeah, and you get the rug pulled from under you and now like nope, nope, now we have really no clue yeah where we're headed with the story. I love that so much
0: yeah that that whole Sydney sequence, like and like the build up to that mm. is like. So enthralling. I mean, like, the whole stuff with Bank where, like, he obviously, like, the only reason that he joins the team is because, obviously, he gets beat up and, yeah. like, he like, gets thrown onto the dumpster, which is, like, so horrific. I that mean, like, so I did horrific. not expect the film to pull that. <laughs> like, it really went dark for a moment there. It and then did, the reveal yeah. that... um of who? Who did it? it was, yeah, that it was the boyfriend, obviously, <laughs> yeah. of um of Grace that did it. I forget his name. I think it's Pat. Pat. That's right. Yeah. It's Pat. Um, that Pat that did it. And, like, the fallout of that is so crazy. And the fact that, you know... Um, bank comes back and he's like got this tension about him. Yeah. He's just like, we're just gonna get this done. He's kind of been reborn at this, this yeah. point. And I think I think bank has easily the
1: biggest sort of arc, arc. or change in yep. the film. Like he goes from that straight laced student who wouldn't even. He's the one that he's, unbreakable. He wouldn't. Cheat. He's unbreakable because yeah. unlike Lynn, who succumbs to the one friend asking, please, 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 I need this. Yeah, we get that identical scene with Bank, and he's like, nope, not doing it. Yeah, so we see him go through the full transition all the way to just mr capitalism i'm, I'm going to capitalize off the situation as much as humanly possible yeah because and he says this and he's completely correct we're not going to get arrested if we get caught no we kind of just get banned from like one, tests one test organization and then we could just do another one do another one exactly and, and he's completely 100
0: right and he, he's-, he's he's sort of <laughs> it's it's strange because the film sort of like i guess to some extent portrays him as the uh, antagonist. Like, if there Mm. is an antagonist, apart from obviously getting caught, the Bank does sort of fill that role for, like, maybe 70% of the film. And it's quite interesting, like, even in that last sort of sequence, you know, when he's really discovered the power of, like, the weapon that they wield, that him and... and Lin. And Lin wield, Yeah. Um, and he's in the bathroom of the STT test asking for more money. And he needs it transferred right now. Yeah, that's a great... Oh, my God. They like, turn the tables on the rich kids and stuff. And, like, just show that, like, in that moment, they wield the power. And there is this, like, constant threshold of power being used um, to one-up mm. each other. Um, it's just so fantastic. Like, um, they... They, they, if they really show this, like, alliance, like, is just built on nothing. Like, this alliance between mm. rich and poor is just built all on money. And, like... Um, it, it's it's just so thrilling. I mean, like they, the bathroom sequence in in there, you know, they're kicking. <laughs> oh, I, I, I always love how seriously like that guy, that Australian guard who's like Russian. Oh yes, Australian, <laughs> Australian. Welcome
1: to Sydney.
0: <laughs> classy uh, Aussie battler, classy out there. Classy Aussie battler. <laughs> 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 you always love bringing that up. It's so good, though. Oh my god, that's my favorite part of the film. Yeah. Is
1: and like, I, it's like watching this. I'm like, okay, this is a Thai film this is like the Australian represent I'm like oh I kind of get it now
0: in other films yeah.
1: American films do Russian spies and yeah, this is I kind of get it like. now <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> whenever there's
0: like a yeah like an Eastern European villain in a Bond yeah. film or something <laughs> that's it yeah <laughs> oh. what are you doing in the
1: bathroom we've got to finish the test it's like he's like kicking awesome. down
0: the door and shit like that I like know. it's so crazy like I'm just like I love how seriously this guy takes his job that he like <laughs> like <laughs> chase Lynn to the to the train station <laughs> You only gets to do it one day a year that's exactly <laughs> man but, you know that was that guy's like super bowl man <laughs> he was ready he was looking at himself in the mirror he's like alright no one cheats today I'm gonna- <laughs> not on my watch. <laughs> no one's cheating on no my watch cheating.
1: exactly <laughs> um yeah he doesn't just straight up kill bank <laughs>
0: <laughs> Honestly, at one point, it, doesn't he like grab him in the bathroom, like manhandle him? I'm pretty I think sure. Like, so. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I think he um,
1: manhandles Lynn
0: as well. Yeah, I think so. He, like she's like she's like throwing up by the train. He's yep. like, "Nup, you're coming back with me. You're your coming back. I'm, you're coming back. I'm dragging you all the way back." Oh, <laughs> uh, it's so funny. Oh uh, lord, but no. I, see.
1: I mean, I mean, we get a kick out just because of the whole Aussie like, oh yeah. my god, yeah. it's us sort of aspect of it. But I think you're right. The the amount of tension they create in that final sort of that big international scheme. And it, yeah. you know, even on the other side with um, Grace and Pat, they have like the, the Lynn's dad yes. come in oh, and yeah. that sort of delays things as well. And everyone, all the people on the bikes are waiting for their cues. It's, yeah. The, the, like you said, like every possible piece they could, they could squeeze out of tension and they did it. Yeah. They absolutely did it. But I guess now's a good time to talk about that ending yeah. decision. I think there's really two moments for me. Because I was a little surprised by almost the simplicity of the ending, mm-hmm. in the sense that Lynn just kind of decides, "I'm just gonna tell everyone," yeah, I'm "just gonna reveal the scheme." And I think what this ultimately cements is this idea, like we like we said n- numerous times already on this podcast, Lynn never really has to do any of this stuff, in the sense that it's really just all the people around her convincing her to do this and that she's not it's not like she's becoming smarter by doing this like no. you said if anything she's probably sacrificing her own um intellects yeah. and her morals and and it's just that's her superpower is that she's going to know the answer to to every question on the test. Yeah. Um it's immense this is a story where she regains her own power and control of the situation and that you know everyone around her is begging her because you even got Grace and Pat yeah. You know, she she's feeling very melancholic and yeah. very sorrow about what's happened and they're just like, "No, no, no. Well, just sit another test and we can all go to uni. We yeah. can all keep doing this together." We'll be friends, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's just this whole BS scheme that they're still trying to prolong. Yeah. And she just she smacks them with that that line of the, the there's no multi choice in yeah. college. What like good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially
0: and 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 that that is that is the beauty of it, I think, because they're the reveal and that they do sort of retcon a little bit at the very end of the film, but I do love that reveal of, of being like when, when Lynn realizes that the whole time, I mean, they were just using her. I mean, Absolutely, like, like yeah. I mean, did, did Grace and Pat care about it? I mean, like, I feel like Grace likes her. Mm. Um, um, But by do no means do their lifestyles match. And you know what I mean? Like, Grace is trying to help her. She's like, oh, you can come to uni with us. Like, we'll get it all we'll paid for, that sort of thing. Yeah. But she's not doing that out of, like, wanting to be her friend. She's doing that out of, like, mm. prolonging this, like, scheme that they've got going and, like how long can I keep this going? Like, um, how long can I leech off Lin's, like, knowledge and that sort of thing? Exactly. And yeah. and when Lin realizes that and it all comes crashing, crashing down at, at the end of the film, it's like, it's really, it's really empowering for her but also, like, also kind of sad, I guess, because she realizes that she did essentially sell, like, she, she was sellable, like, she sold mm. her soul yeah. um, to, to do this and, um, and, and in some way, it it lessens it lessens her, sp- what makes her special?
1: Yeah, um, I guess. And I, I was about to—I was about to spoil Better Call Soul. I'm not going to do it, <laughs> but I'll say there is a character in Better Call Soul who sort of may have already gone too far, but still has the ability to say, "Nope, I'm going to leave this life, and I might, you know, I still got time." Yeah. To sort of rebuild myself, and and the same with Lynn here, where maybe I've already gone too far. Yeah. But at least I am unlike Bank, who doesn't need her knowledge but sort of needs her skills in order to to, to keep doing the schemes since it was like seven million dollars they want to make in the next one yeah um so she's now being depended on by both sides of the the class the class so to speak and both sides of the um people who need the intellect yeah to progress through school and the people who need the money to progress through life yeah and she's like i'm just not having any of this anymore like i'm gonna put my foot down and like you said maybe i've gone too far already yeah maybe there's a little bittersweet but at the end of the these are just high school exams
0: you can't you kind of forget that don't you <laughs> You do you do in the grandeur of everything going on you, you do forget that they're but, all 17 years old <laughs> but but i think i think that's what i think that's what's so good about it is that like it, it does work as this like encapsulation for for everything and like it like if you're willing to cheat on something as individual as i guess like a high school exam where like it ranks you i guess against your class and everything like that's what makes you special that's what like gives you that, yep. that upper leg in the world if you're willing to to give that like what like what lines of morality are I also willing to cross and mm. I think the best um, viewpoint for that is bank and when you come yes. back to that like final scene where he's talking to her in in the in the laundromat and yep. and he, he's sort of saying like like no like, like you started this it's too late now like we're yeah. gonna continue this yeah. and like you really see just how far gone like this has mentally, like, ruined Banks' mindset. He no longer sees his education and his intelligence as a way to climb the social ladder because he realizes that he'll never be one of these people. Mm. He realizes the only way that he can get what he wants in life is by exploiting these people. Yep. Yep. And that's what he's, like, learned throughout the film. And it's it's really this sad thing, but also, like, he also realizes that, like, Lin and him, like, have this shared commonality and that sort of, like, brings it back at the end. Yeah. And so how uh, she's able to, like, bring him back um On board in the final moments of the film, but um I do really love seeing just like as Bank as a conduit for like the the moral trajectory of the film and the characters.
1: Yeah, especially the sort of the downspiring, the, the Harvey Dent from Dark Knight yeah, sort of. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> you live long they enough to his see White night. <laughs> <laughs> to become the villain exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I I think and again going back to that context oh but this is just high school and none of them are going to get arrested and all of that it's because the film again it goes back to those parody elements the very first scheme they do where she gets the the eraser in the shoe and gives in like that first victory what's the scene that happens right after that they're by this nighttime pool it's really like aesthetically pleasing someone's bringing out champagne to them i'm like this could easily be wolf of wall street social network yeah like these entrepreneurial sort of rise and fall films that this film's kind of making fun of i think a little bit yeah um by doing this and and it kind of it kicks us into this different viewpoint where we forget really how trivial a lot of this is in the grand scheme of things
0: yeah definitely and that, that's like what you talked about at the start of the podcast which is that mm. that comedic aspect of things i think that like the it it is satirizing those like like the intensity of everything but i also think it's like commenting on like how serious these these kids specifically um in southeast asia take yeah. the yeah. these uh take these exams and take their tests and their studies like how seriously it is to these children essentially Life and death. Life and death, and yeah. it is like their status in the world. And like for a lot of these people, the reality is, if you don't score well in these tests, you w- you won't have a future. Yeah. Um. And I think that that's important to remember in the context of like the seriousness of how yeah. the, of how they like that for, that, for that is that is a very good point. Yeah, you, know, you are
1: completely right. And and like, yeah, it is like life and death stakes for for these kids. And I think as as stylized as, as the film is, and it almost feels like it's really taken it to that that degree where it's it is like crazy and fun and wild and wacky but you're right there is a a truth to all this i mean like you said it's based on a true story people really did cheat on their sats and yeah. and i i didn't realize apparently there's a series there's a 2020 series called bad genius
0: yeah i've actually been I've, i was going to bring this up um I uh, and this oh, is probably so, good so. this is probably a good thing to talk about the okay the, lo- the i guess the context of the film In the country and what it did and and okay the 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 subsequent because it had a massive impact right okay that's cool so 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 what I've got what I've got here is that it um. It's it's it swept twenty seven of the twenty eight awards at the at the Holy. Super Hanong National Film Awards for Thailand, Woo. which is a, a record. It won every single award except one, which is best original score because it used non original oh, score pieces. Okay, technicality. <laughs> technicality. That's so funny. Um so which is incre- insane. I mean like to to have that sort of level of like national impact alone, let alone mm. the international impact. I mean it made yep. it made um it grossed over thirty million US Oh, wow. Which is... For a film like this. A staggering amount. I mean, yeah. it, like... I mean, like, the film itself, I think... I think... It, I can't... I don't remember its budget, but, I mean, we can Let's probably check that out really quick. Here. I don't...
1: I don't have a budget on here. That's don't a have a shame. budget. Yeah,
0: maybe it's not public, but I can't imagine it would have been more than a million US. Gosh, right? no, and, and like, and these are all relative newcomers as well in the yeah. cast. And well, yeah, well, the actors, not... Lin was the, it was her debut feature. That's insane. Yeah, she's amazing. <laughs> she's amazing in, this. in Oh this, absolutely. my god! <laughs> um, and I don't think there's
1: a whole lot of locations as well.
0: No, no. It's I not. mean, they
1: go to Sydney. I guess that's that's probably a fairly expensive yeah. chunk of the film, right there. But even but... then, it's,
0: it's only it's only it's only half the cast. It's only. I mean, True,
1: it's it's literally Lynn and Bank, and then yeah. all then all characters that are just exclusive to those scenes, and a lot of it's indoors as well.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So a lot of it might not have actually been in Sydney. <laughs> in Sydney for example, <laughs> you never know. Um, just the one scene where they're looking at the, the, outdoor, the like the Sydney. bridge. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, to be honest, like who's to say? <laughs> yeah. Um, but so a staggering amount that it made. Yeah, it made a it's staggering amount. Um, but so also probably interesting that that they that this film's production was really interesting because it was sort of a... It was sort of a love project of the writer um, and he searched... He shopped it around um, for about f- five years oh, wow. to find the right director yeah. and he eventually landed on um, the director, Natawet, Um Papuria, who was known for, like, a 2012 thriller called Countdown and, like, having, oh, like, really okay. thrilling, um, high-tension films and, right. like, that was what he wanted to bring to the film. Yeah. Um, and subsequently, he actually made um, a film about the Thai cave rescue.
2: Oh, um, okay. which was
0: also ex- incredibly well received in Thailand, and um, and was supposed, is supposedly one of the most tense, like international films in years and years. Yeah.
1: Oh um, god. Well, there you go. We owe, we owe ourselves to watch that. <laughs> definitely, definitely. No, and um, and
0: you know, he's. I I, re- I really think that that his authorship comes through quite a lot in this film. Mm. um, I mean, as you say yeah There, there's is, there's is the series as well um, which was just essentially a way for them to <laughs> retell the story <laughs> to, to retell the story <laughs> and to, I guess to just probably capitalize on as much yeah. as they can of the of the the IP yeah <laughs> as exactly. much as possible <laughs> <laughs> um, can't blame them no you can't blame them at all absolutely not um, it's yeah it's 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 earned its place the film itself and this is probably the best way to like I guess end talking about the film itself sure. is that it that it Won a special award that categorizes it as a national heritage item. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> in Thailand, so um, so it's literally like um, we like in the same category as like. Famous mountains and like buildings <laughs> and like heritage sites. Um, so I mean, you climb one of those mountains, a DVD copies on top. <laughs> you get one. At the you end. get one. There's a store up there. Yeah, you get a copy of Bad just when you enter Thailand every time now- <laughs> <laughs> the airport. Yeah, um, but no, I, I, st- I still think though, relatively, it's a fairly underseen movie, um, despite mm. its international success, um, and it's certainly its national success. Um, so anyone that hasn't seen Bad Genius that's listening it's probably been spoiled the whole thing but um, I, I hope <laughs> that you do seek it out or maybe people that saw it and um, only saw it once maybe disregarded it go back to it give it another try because I think it's um, one of the best international films of the last decade so yeah.
1: yeah absolutely and I like you wearing a Thailand shirt as well exactly I, yeah, there you go I specifically the Thailand <laughs> shirt to
0: to, to represent so represent I love it
1: so there you go Bad Genius I watched it on SBS On Demand yes did so you same. watch it for free that was
0: my rewatch as well yeah um, I, I'm still hunting down a Blu-ray copy of it because Ooh, is it tricky it is tricky there is one but it's a basically like 120 AUD so I'm reckoning with my soul <laughs> as to whether a single film is worth that much um, but it's that a really bit- cool cover <laughs> I really want yeah, it <laughs> yeah oh no I totally get that so yeah I'll, I'll probably end up copying that eventually because yeah it is one of my of my you r- know what's gonna happen babes.
1: you're gonna buy it and then while it's still shipping, we're going to hear the Criterion release.
0: <laughs> this would be this would be such a good Criterion release. It I would die if this was got would. a Criterion release. <laughs> we get onto that. Quick, smart. Quick, smart. <laughs> okay, Jake. Um, so having you on the podcast, uh, yes. man. Uh, um, you know, I I mentioned I mentioned this probably in the intro to you as well, but you know, like you you were sort of one of the first people that, that I met that sort of really like ventured out and took podcasting seriously. Mm. And um, it was something that I've been wanting to do for ages. I've had a few failed launches and that sort of thing. And now I'm trying to stick this out and just, oh, you know, excellent. like keep going. Um, and, um, you yeah, know, you're someone that I've, I've really ad- admired the work of and I've followed your podcast for, for a few years now since we've been good friends. Yeah. And, um, and obviously, you guys made the announcement that your podcast with uh, Zeke Morgan Hines, the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, yeah. will be coming to a conclusion with episode two sixty.
1: That's it, yeah. Which is very bittersweet. There's a there's a reason it's going to be two sixty, and that I mean that's an insane number two hundred and sixty weeks. We never missed a Consecutive week. Weeks, yeah. Consecutive weeks. Consecutive um, weeks. I mean, we started the show long before COVID, and and even not missing a beat. I mean, we got we got fun stories about the course and a few remote recordings in there, but it's been very very consistent and like you know Zeke's my podcast partner in crime as I call him yeah (laughs) (laughs) and that's the thing we we all went to the same university and and I was the same sort of year group as Zeke and the first time we collaborated was in that second year we made a short film called Faces in the Crowd which is on I think it's on YouTube and all that now so you can probably find it and I think that I think it was the same thing for me and for him where we had dabbled in podcasting and like a few failed attempts and it was literally we just got up one day and and we're just talking about a couple of films like let's start again let's try again episode one of a new show and let's kind of give it a, a bit more of a rigid structure we're, you know first half we're going to talk about this second half we're going to talk about that and it was it was very sporadic which a lot of things in my life seem to be <laughs> lately <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and it was um it it ventured on far and far and it wide, wide race, and. Yeah. So, yeah, and the reason for 260 is that that would be the five year anniversary of when yeah. we started. And I think I mean, the thing is, you know, those, and they're very seminal five years having, you know, we both graduated university and now mm. we're sort of in our gainful employment <laughs> aspect of lives and, you know, getting partners and moving out soon. And there's a lot of that stuff that, that plays into it when you realize you just kind of start struggling for time. And I yeah. think the last thing I want is for watching films and talking about films to become. A you know a chore
0: yeah of course i yeah. mean
1: it's the last thing and like there's an element of that of course when you do weekly podcasts but yeah. it after a while you kind of get into that rhythm and it it sort of works out in that sense but the last thing i want to do is really shake that shake the groundwork and i want i always wanted us to end the show very purposefully yeah and to to give a fair warning to the audience i didn't want it to just sort of fizzle out um so that was a big part of the reason where we just said let's just pick a number here we go and we'll 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 celebrate these last few weeks and really make a a big thing of it um and it will be bittersweet but it will be i think for the best and we're gonna have a bit of a legacy behind us with 260 episodes
0: absolutely nah and um yeah I, i guess i guess i just wanted to to i guess maybe explore a few a few of the Few of the concepts and, and things in your head hmm. um um going in going into the end of that and maybe like some reflections. So I've wrote a few questions here. Um, okay. You sorta of, you sorta of already answered the first one a little bit, but if there's anything specifically um that you could add to this, um what inspired you to get into podcasting in the first place?
1: I think I hmm, it, it's interesting because I guess it goes back to me and Zeke's relationship where and, and you know, we have the same relationship and um, we both have the same relationship with Blake and Andy and all sorts of yep, other people our in, friends, our, in yeah. our lives. Yeah. yeah, all our friends, um, where we just we just love film and we love talking about films and watching films and making films and 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 all of that. And yeah, you know, it was never it was never a financial thing or a profiting thing, much like the characters in Bad Genius might <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> think of it as. But you know, it was just it was just an avenue for us to not only find sort of the scheduled time for us to talk about film and really share films with each other and talk about ideas but to share it with everyone else and this idea that, you know, I could go into uni, I could go into work and someone just based on a recommendation I made on the podcast a few days earlier had already seen a film that was like, oh, great, what did you think and let's talk about it. And, like, that's happened so many times and it's, it's just so cool because it's almost like you're sharing something that maybe feels a little tight-knit you know it's like we have our friend groups and that's what we like to talk about we don't we don't want to shut people out we want as many people as possible to join in on these fun conversations and i think the podcast really provides an avenue for people to oh this is these are the kinds of conversations they're having these are the kinds of films they're watching i want to get in on that and it's sort of a an easy way and a rewarding way to do that so I, i think that was the big one for us in terms of starting the podcast and sharing it with everyone
0: Amazing! That's great. Yeah, I, I love that. Aww. Um, next one I have is, how has podcasting helped you ingrain yourself in the cinematic landscape? Um, has it has it widened your knowledge? Has it enriched mm. your experience of understanding cinema? Do you think by exploring it in such a open uh, uh, procedural way?
1: I absolutely, and I and I think in the same way that I say it kind of opens up the conversation to other people for them to explore the films we're looking at, mm-hmm. but by Having the podcast, there's this... First off, you, you have to pick one film. You have to pick a film to cover. And a lot of the times you're going to pick films that you haven't seen because you've always wanted to see them and it's a good excuse to. But then it sort of opens up the floodgates where it's like, oh, here's, a, you know, here's Bad Genius. Wow, okay, well, I want to look at the cast of this film, who directed it, who edited it, who shot it. And I want to look at some of the things that they've worked on. And then that opens more floodgates of other films that you love and you, and you love the work of the people who made those films. And, like, I mean, I think because of that but like you said by making it sort of this procedural thing where you almost have homework every week I gotta watch this yeah. film this film this film it it sort of forces you to get into it and like I said, like I said earlier it's not necessarily a chore by doing that you just kind of you're forcing yourself to still be in the conversation and by still being in the conversation you're, you're broadening your horizons you're watching all sorts of films you would never thought to have seen before so I'll say it absolutely does broaden your horizons
0: fantastic um, did you learn things about yourself you didn't know?
1: I, hmm. the one thing that I love about the podcast, and this is like my weird sort of personal preference. I like the idea of everyone watching, say the two hundred and sixty episodes from start to finish, mm-hmm. watching episode one, two, three, four, and watching in that order. Um, not necessarily just to try and consume everything we've produced necessarily. But because over time, and maybe I didn't realize this before we started the podcast, my opinions on films do change and evolve over time. Mm-hmm. And part of that is a bit frustrating because if you, you know, want to listen <laughs> to my thoughts on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you're listening to the recording we did two days after the film came out. Yeah. And I think if I were to go and re-record something like that now that the film's been out for what four years now, mm-hmm. that's crazy. It's been out four years. I ago. know. <laughs> but. I have such a different, more nuanced, uh, like, thoughts on that film. So I... And I don't think... Without the podcast, I don't think I would have had that same... I I might have just been this stubborn old man that was like, nope, I saw it once and that's my opinion and that's it. And I think the podcast has allowed me to really consider everything I say when I'm talking about a film and to really elaborate on things and clarify when my opinion does change so if i had to say there was anything i learned about myself during the podcast is that my opinions on things do change and they do evolve and it the podcast is almost like a record of that here's proof yeah, <laughs> yeah here's proof of
0: my evolution Yeah, exactly
1: yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll listen to something i said i mean there's a comment i made this is insane i mean there's a comment and i'm hoping i might have been like around the irishman when that came out yep and I said, oh, 2019's been a really lackluster year for film.
0: It's probably my favourite year for film in recent well, years. <laughs> that, that's
1: what I mean. It's like, I said that in, like, October of that year. Yeah. And then I watched films like Parasite, Marriage Story, For Uncut Gems. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's Just so like, bang, year, bang, yeah. bang, Jojo bang, Rabbit. Bang. Like, Jojo yeah. Rabbit. Yeah. you kidding me? Um... <laughs> I'd already seen it at that time, but yeah. Fire, great documentary. Yeah,
0: Fire Festival as well. Yeah. I, I genuinely I was looking at twenty nineteen the other day, I was like, this is disgustingly good. Because I put Corpus Christi <laughs> in that list and oh, I was yes, like, of trying course. to figure out where that and it ended up being the second favourite that I saw from wow. that. year. wow. And I was just like, This is a, like the top twenty five Push like, lady on fire. Push on Fire. <laughs> like I mean, like genuinely like like let me quickly pull this up. I lost my more. body.
1: I lost my body is another brilliant animated film. I don't know oh, if yep. I'd say it's my favourite, but if, if I went back to the rapid fire questions, yep. that's another shadow right there. But
0: also listen, there's three that we didn't four that we didn't even say. I mean there's Midsummer, yep. uh, The Nightingale, yep. Little Women, The Farewell, <laughs> Chernobyl came out that year. That's right.
1: Yeah, the Farewell. I mean it was oh also
0: Endgame. Knives Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Lighthouse. <laughs> <laughs> Nineteen seventeen. The Joker, Doctor Sleep, <laughs> The King. El Camino, El Camino, like Rocket Man, Rocket Man, that's so good. Hotel yeah. Mumbai,
1: us. Well, I was, <laughs> I was yeah. Well, I was I was specifically listing 2019 films I hadn't seen that year when I said that. Yeah, and you know what I mean. Like, there's a, I said that on a podcast. It's yeah. out there. Exactly. 2019 <laughs> has been a lackluster <laughs> year for film. What's wrong with me? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, so it's giving yeah. you that perspective of yourself.
1: Exactly, yeah. and like even just like five or ten episodes after I said that. In in a different podcast, I, said, I can't believe I said that. Yeah. And now several years later, I'm saying, I can't believe I said that. So, I think that's probably what I've learned about myself is... Great. ...that... No, no, no. I do say and, and do dumb things and... <laughs> like we I, all do. Like we all do. And, and sometimes you do change your opinion and, and evolve. Yeah. It keeps you that. humble. It's yeah, good. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, what will you miss the most?
1: I... And I don't know if I can answer this question completely until after it's all said yeah. and done... Um, I had this moment recently. So our most recent episode, which you're going to be on. Yes. Is Napoleon. Yay. So that's going to be fun. The three of us are going to be talking about Napoleon. So you can, you know, jump ahead and listen to that right now. If you want to. That will be out by now. So. Absolutely. will be. And I had a realization in the cinema watching Napoleon. This is the last time I'm going to watch like a new film in the cinema for the podcast. Mm. Specifically. Like, I hope, I hope that I catch films like Poor Things and saltburn and things like that, and talk about them on the podcast before they're over, yeah, but in terms of you know the the film of the week, the one we're covering as our main topic of that week, that was the last one, yeah, I don't necessarily need to go back to the cinema to watch the remaining six episodes, yeah or six films for those episodes, and I was like, oh wow, that I kind of stunned a little more than I thought I it would, yeah, so I guess if my assumption, what I think I'm gonna miss the most is. You know, and again, there's always that fear of trying to watch too many things and cramping in. Like, oh, I want to have lots of things to talk about in this week's podcast. But the requirement to watch so much, you know, and this kind of ties back, I think it was the second question mm-hmm. that I answered. Where, yeah, it's just... Um, I hope that I'm going to be able to retain that after the podcast. Because it's not going to feel like that requirement anymore. Yeah. And as much as I feel like other things are going to keep me busy in my life, I don't want to lose the drive yeah to constantly watch stuff to constantly interpret directors visions and (laughs) yeah
0: yeah think about art in a in a considered way exactly exactly I
1: hope that I don't lose that and I think that's my biggest sort of wish
0: I know it's one I'm gonna
1: miss the most but I think I'm being that but you know what I will also say I think the thing I will miss the most is and like me and Zeke of course we're still gonna catch up as often as we can and do things but you know there's a good chance we're not we saw each other every week for five years straight doing yeah. this podcast yeah so you know i, I imagine that that's going to slowly sort of expand and maybe we're going to go a couple of weeks without seeing each other or maybe even a month yeah. without seeing each other especially if we you know start sort of moving further apart i think i'm moving north and I'm, i imagine he's gonna be moving a bit more south where he works yeah so i'm worried about that and i'm gonna miss that the constant interaction and yeah. just those conversations means you have every week it's not going to be every week anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's sad yeah. and it's bittersweet, but, you know, I, I think... I think in the end we're going to be very proud of the final product that we've
0: put out there. Absolutely. now you both should be very proud, man. Oh, thank you. Um, just a couple more here. Yeah. Um, what did you regret or wish that you did differently looking back?
1: Ooh. About the podcast? Yeah. Hmm. Ooh. That's a good question. Um... I will say sometimes I do get very anxious about covering certain films, especially films with like you know this great grandeur or you know like a classic Kubrick or something, or yep. even like talking about Seven Samurai a few weeks ago. It's mm-hmm. like that's it, those kinds of films that are just so so large and so dominating and mm-hmm. and you know the reputation they have that you do not want to misrepresent them at all, and even even if it's a film that I really really love. I do fear... I'm like, am I able to articulate what makes this film so great? Yep. And I think sometimes that does sort of affect the... the maybe the films that I do watch. And, I, and another example is every five episodes we do a director's corner where we try and talk about the director's wider work in a more expansive way. So, for example, we did Charlie Cha- Chaplin a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And you have know, only got a week to prep and we're only going to really talk about modern times. But it's like, well, I want to watch some of the other films. And, and that was a particularly good one. I call like The Kid and City yeah. Lights and some of his earlier works. Like for me, that was a great week of, wow, I really caught a bunch of his other works. But then there's there's a bunch that even you've been watching. I'm like, wow, I didn't even know that existed. Like, God, I wish I'd seen that and talked about a podcast. And so I I think sometimes I do get overwhelmed by the vastness of cinema yeah yeah it's <laughs> truly I, yeah large. <laughs> it is and and i i get really anxious about the fear of not covering everything accurately and i think most people understand that we're ultimately limited we are just two white guys doing a podcast at yeah. the end of the day yeah. so you know i think if, if there's something we both miss i think it's fine but i think that might be the thing is that maybe i've let that sort of that fear you know encroach me yeah, and that maybe sometimes, I don't know. By being so overwhelmed by the number of things, I feel like I must do to prep for an episode, I get overwhelmed and and it kind of goes in the other direction where I end up feeling underprepared. Yep. for certain episodes. Yeah, I understand um, that. Which maybe feels like a, I don't know. I mean, like the lighthouse was another one, where I just for some reason going, I just felt so like overwhelmed and underprepared to talk about a film like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I my hope is that it just. Doesn't come off that way. Yeah, <laughs> in nah, this show,
0: I don't. I don't remember it ever coming off that way. So, oh, you did a good job, oh, mate. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> don't listen to Linehas episode. <laughs> <laughs> gotta go back and listen to that one now. Oh no. Um, what are you most proud? Most proud of is there a particular episode or moment?
1: Um, that I mean, there's several moments. I love when we can get really funny on the show, and it is a very like very analytical show, and and we do talk about films very seriously and every now and then we sort of address some drama things or some of the memes that are going around. Like, we, ne- we never did a Morbius episode, but I'm, I'm sure we've <laughs> taken advantage of the meme that is Morbius. Of course, and, yeah. You know, I, I, do, I am proud of those moments when we can get really lighthearted and fun and, and make jokes to each other. Yeah. Um, I'm proud of, you know, the number of friends we got on. Like, I mean, after COVID, people could tell we, the number of guests we had regularly kind of dropped Significantly, right? Yeah, and I think I think you would have only been on like really three episodes. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think this is the third, is it not? This Napoleon would be the yep, third, yep. yeah. Um, you have a little voice clip in The Godfather of it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what was that again? That was the 100th episode we did. Did I send a voice clip for that? You kind of
1: no? just said, Hey, Zeke and Jay, congrats on 100. Oh, nice, you kind of <laughs> did that thing. <laughs> so, yeah, three okay. and a half episodes, maybe. Wow, okay, great, nice. <laughs> there you go. But I'm, I'm proud of the the number of friends we were able to get on and and people in different parts of the industry as well with different yeah. insights and um yeah i'm i'm proud to have gotten that many people involved i i think we had like 10 to 15 guests yeah at which point. like
0: logistically is a really hard thing to do yeah. um and so enough that's another thing you should be very proud of yeah
1: and and i know this is weird to to segue back to disappointments or um yeah of course things I things i wish i had done but maybe the one thing i wish we had done more of was finding local filmmakers who had made features and really give them prominent roles in the podcast and maybe even talk about their own films like we did interviews with you know steven mihalovich for example Mm -hmm. but um i know we did one for the crossing specifically about the music but that was sort of a segment that was like inserted in kind of midway through the episode it wasn't organically worked into the episode um and then When I saw Violet, his new horror feature film, we didn't really make much of an effort to get him back on the show and talk about that in a more general way. And I feel like I did more of... I wish I did more of that throughout the show. Yeah. Um, But maybe maybe there'll be an opportunity in the future to do more of that.
0: We will learn. Yeah. And, well, that's perfect segue to my final question, which is... Um, what's next? Do you see yourself returning to the podcast world again? Do you feel like it's it's sort of over in a certain way? Like it represented a certain period of time? Or, or how do you feel about it?
1: I think... I mean, I'm, it would be silly of me to just say, no, no more podcasting ever. It's very silly. Mm-hmm. I think, like you said, it, it represents a, a period of, of my life, I guess 21 to 26. Mm-hmm. And I think as I make this new transition into a new part of my life, I kind of have to get a feel for that and understand... What what sort of commitment I need to make to to those aspects of my life before I can re enter the I guess the podcasting game. Yep. I mean, we've always joked about for years that we need to do a Simpsons podcast together. <laughs> One day. <laughs> One day, exactly. So I you know, I, I definitely don't want to say no, we can never ever do that. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm looking forward to sort of weaving interweaving through this new section of my life and uh seeing how podcasting comes back to that. Maybe maybe I sort of go on to miss it so much, so I'm like, I need, I need to jump back and, and do it again. Yeah. Um, but, and on that same token, with the new film that I that I made that I shot mm-hmm. this past January and is right on the cusp of being finished, called Skin and Blister, I actually mm-hmm. literally got a text about an hour ago saying that the visual effects are done. Oh, amazing. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So that's, nice. I, he's like, w- whenever you can. come. It's done by our good
0: friend Oscar Cook. It is yeah, indeed.
1: Nice. And he's like, Jake, whenever you need to, just come over this week and... Wow! Grab the grab all the files. Exciting! So that is very exciting. That's it. Um, that's it. That's the last thing. We got, got to still color it. Still color, yeah. And there's a couple of shots that well, I still need to work on. <laughs> right,
0: a couple you doing. Yeah,
1: exactly. So I I did as many as I could, and then yeah. I gave Oscar all the really really hard ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so to did, be fair, yeah, he did those that I, that I was like way over my head over with some of that stuff. Um, but, yeah, so that that's really exciting with, with Skin and Blister, and and because that's on the cusp of ending as well, mm-hmm. at least the um, post-production and hope to get the film done, I hope that that's something that has a bit of a strong festival life, yeah, which I've never really had before. Like, I've made stuff that's gone straight to YouTube or, you know, uni films and things like that, but I've never written and directed a film that had a proper festival run, and I kind of hope... This will be the one, yeah. You know, oh, absolutely, game?
0: man. Like, good. luck. Like, I hope it does. Like, I, I know, I know how hard you worked on it, and everyone that worked on it, how hard they worked. So I'm sure, man, yeah. it'll pay dividends. Um, to scary life, the festival life uh, for a bit. There, a few <laughs> of my films is like, oh my god, watching them in cinemas is just like it's a whole new level of like yeah. self nervousness. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, you start to realize, oh, I hate this so much. Everyone else to, is going to hate it. <laughs> you start to realize all those minute things in the cuts. So you're like. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it's great. It's also so it's also so rewarding as well. Like I mean yeah. yeah. I, I remember watching sorry to self indulge for a second here, but I do sure. remember watching the piano um on in in theatre for the first time and at, um, the, the most, at Luna, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I still to the we didn't win the best picture that night, but still to this day mm. I say that we got the biggest clap that night. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so I know who won the audience award. <laughs> but um but no yeah That's and I, yeah j- just to just to quickly talk about Skin and Blistered before yeah. we wrap up really quickly here um how, how did you find the experience of of writing directing and producing y- your own film and how did it how did that change your view of like independent cinema because I know mm. how much effort you personally put into producing it um And, like, how much different hats you wore in the film. I mean, i I make a joke that, like, you're pretty much going to have to do, like, the Steven Soderbergh thing, like, where (laughs) (laughs) where you can't credit yourself too much for all the jobs that you've done. No,
1: exactly. I think I got... It's one card. I think it's written, produced, and directed by Jake Diagrella. And then I snuck in, edited by, right in the corner of one of the other credits. Like it's, yep. it's very, it's subtly it's in there subtle. with a bunch and of other effects. And v- oh yeah, and yeah, VFX <laughs> as well. Um, we'll both get that credit, of course, me and Oscar. Yeah. Um, am I in any others? I think that's it. I hope that's, that's it. <laughs> but to to your question, I think, I mean that the the, because for me this was like the first real big like oh my god I have a crew that I have to like have to run and manage all these people and... Pay.
0: And pay. <laughs> I'm still waiting for my invoice, by the way. Oh, yeah. No, well... <laughs> it's in the mail. Did you not get oh, it? You, you yeah. didn't get it? <laughs> I was on sick leave. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you need the sick leave pay.
1: <laughs> oh, God. Well, that was... I mean, that was just a whole other... That was a whole other meat and potatoes right there. Just the, the financial aspects of it. And, and you know, and I, we did so many things that were like really hurt at the time because you, know, you weren't on such a string budget and even just like the, the type of van that you hired to transfer uh, all the gear and everything or how many days or how many hours um, a shot or, or a scene takes to, to shoot always ends up being way more than you than you imagine it's ever going to be. But, And I, I think even we as filmmakers, we forget when we're watching stuff, we forget how hard it truly is. And 99% yeah. of the things that we dealt with aren't on the screen. The whole point yep. is we put all this effort in so you can't tell the issues on the screen <laughs> and that people aren't going to watch it and be like, I wonder if the rain machine broke at any point. I wonder if anyone got stung by a bee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I-, I would complain about me getting stung by a bee, but then the camera crew would slap me. <laughs> yeah, they would. They all got stung several times.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but exactly yeah, but I-, right. I guess like, so, so it does give you that perspective of like, just how hard it is to make yeah. a film and just how much effort, passion and love goes into it. The challenges that you overcome, like even in like, you know, like, you know, like relatively to the grand scheme of all cinema, you know, this yeah. is, this is like a, like a 20 minute short film, right? Like less yeah, it's uh, 16 minutes, 16 minute short film. Yeah. So like, and just like, I know how much like, you know, stress and pain, yeah. and, you know, like also <laughs> like uh, effort went into making this and this is like, when you look at these um, massive independent films, like mm. I, I just I just think it's it's one of the most um well coordinated things that that you can do and to, to pull mm. off something that, that actually coherently tells a narrative is a massive achievement in and of itself. Um yeah, so absolutely um I always like to congratulate any filmmaker who finishes a project. So you're close to the finish line now, man, and um yeah hope you see it over the line soon.
1: Thank <laughs> you. I, I think it'll be very soon and, and you're right, it is a small miracle that any film really gets made. Um so it's, yeah, it is. And, and, you know, we spent years being like, is this ever going to get made? and Yeah. And especially me thinking, do I have the finances first? Do I have the energy for this? Because the energy is a huge one.
0: I had to take a two-year break after my last film. Yeah. Because it just yeah. was too taxing.
1: That's it. And I, I have no earthly idea when I'm ever <laughs> going to jump back in the director's yeah. chair. But I I think it is, it, I always, I mean, I remember someone someone asked me before we shot it, they say, like, so what are you going to do with it? Like, if you can't make money, what are you going to do with it? And and I said, I'm like, well, I think this is, like, when someone asks, like, oh, well, you're a filmmaker, like, what's something you've done? What Like, what represents you? Yeah. I kind of don't feel like I have that concrete answer. Like, I have things I've worked on and things I've done. Yeah. But I'm like, this film will be that. This film will be the definitive, like, here's Jake Diagrello. And, and And, sorry?
0: It's your resume, right? Exactly. Like, yeah, it's yeah,
1: your yeah. resume, and it's it's the, the first thing people see under the name and... And hopefully, it's the thing that sort of raises. Um, I was going to say eyeballs, but uh, yeah. maybe eyebrows is eyebrows, more. Eyebrows, probably better. Be a... Nostrils <laughs> and raises their nostrils. <laughs> all nice. all of the uh, bodily functions. Going oh no, on there. not raise everything. Hopefully,
0: <laughs> <laughs> not everything, but
1: it depends if it's a good effect or a bad effect. But no, right. I'm, so I'm very I'm very excited for all the because it's not even just me; it's all the effort of. You know the camera people and the production design team, and even just you know my girlfriend and my mum catering for everyone, and, yep. and and our two actors, you know Bethany Horton, Danielle McDonald. Of course, you worked with Bethany, yes, um, and and Danny actually, and Danny. as well. Yeah, you worked both of them on numerous things, including mm-hmm. The Raven, for example. Yeah, but um, they were just extraordinary yep. in this film, and that, that's who I'm excited for most. Yeah. when people start watching the film is, is for them doing their performance so yeah i'm excited for all of them to get a piece of the pie and, and have their hard work on screen
0: yeah because they have to wait a while <laughs> they do they kind that's, of they work on giga, it and they, they an wait a year yeah. or, or three years and yeah it could wait however long <laughs> exactly well um that pretty much wraps up my questions man for today well thank you so much for joining us on the podcast man and, oh, absolutely. and like i said like um with the end of your podcast like I hope you know, like personally, you know, you've definitely inspired me to see this through. It's something I've wanted to do for a while wow. um, and, you know, to see your continuous determination and always um, great attitude towards um, putting yourself out there artistically. This is a an art form in and of itself, mm. podcasting. Absolutely. I um, mean, to talk about cinema in, in such a thoughtful and uh, entertaining way um you've you've definitely inspired me to this is the one of the big reasons why this is even here so Mm. thank you my good friend and um very welcome i hope to have you back on the podcast soon again
1: absolutely well, I was about to say, oh, we should do Amelie. You've already done Amelie. already done Amelie. <laughs> How dare you. <laughs> There's many films
0: we can watch, my good friend. Luckily, the oh, well, well of cinema never runs dry. <laughs> That's
1: it. That's absolutely it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, guys, for today's episode. Um, I hope that you've enjoyed it or found it insightful. Um, You know, Jack has lots to say, so it's great. Um, <laughs> this you- is easily <laughs> your longest episode. Easily my longest episode, which is amazing. It's great. Fantastic. I've been meaning to branch out. Um. Yeah, uh, if, you, if you want to find Jake on Letterboxd, I know you can find him at Jake Diagrella and you can find his podcast, the Cinema Sideshow podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcast, all your classic podcast places. And um, yeah, definitely tune in. I know that the podcast is ending, but that's by, no, <laughs> by no means uh, an indication of dropping quality standards. In fact, you know, they're probably going to raise their efforts for the last few episodes. So definitely join oh, in. Definitely and, have. <laughs> and, try and, and try and go go on the journey if you can. And um, as always, you can follow me at Stephen Clark on Letterboxd. Please... Uh, like share subscribe all those nice things to the podcast um we've been getting a lot more views recently um so thank you so much for that yeah it's been it's been a it's been a nice um rapid growth especially now going to the weekly format um it's really it's really been encouraging to see and i'm starting to get the odd comment on letterboxd for for different things of people asking questions so any sort of engagement that you guys want to give to that i'm more than happy to receive and um, hopefully can continue to grow and um, I can continue to talk about films on this podcast. Excellent. So thanks, guys, and uh, have a great day.